Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies, people, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. Today's guest, Wemamu Abbey, founded financial technology platform, Isusu, a social venture designed to help the disenfranchised and financially excluded build the money and credit identity they need that's so vital to securing housing and building wealth in the United States. The platform works by collecting rental payment data and reporting it into credit bureaus to help tenants establish their credit scores, with the broader goal of simultaneously boosting the American economy while paving a permanent bridge to financial success and inclusion for everyone. Originally from Nigeria, Abby experienced such exclusion firsthand when he came to this country to pursue his college education and build his finance career. Access to housing has been, as he says, has been quoted as saying, is a basic human right. And we need to collectively think about how we can make sure it's accessible to everyone. Abby, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Thanks a lot for having me. So let's go to the way back. Not way, way back, although I do want to talk about growing up in Nigeria. But let's start with this incredible app and this platform that you've built. Absolutely. So what we do at Isusu is really simple. We are of the mindset that where you come from, the color of your skin, and above all, your financial identity shouldn't determine where you end up in life. As a result, we created a company that really captures data on folks, in this case, rental data, and reports it into the credit bureaus to help people boost their credit scores and landlords, help them drive on time payments, and then make sure their revenues should be where uh, it needs to be. The way the products work is simple. If you pay your rent, your credit scores most likely go up considering every other thing in your life. So we have a mobile application you can download, check your credit scores for free, put in your information, check out, we call your landlord and verify that information. On the B2B side, which is where we spend most of our time, so working with large multi-housing providers, so you think about the big asset managers of the world, um, the Jonathan Roses of the world, we work with them. They have thousands or tens of thousands of units, capture data from your property management software platforms, and then report that data into the credit bureaus. That boosts consumer credit scores on average between 32 to 100 points, depending where you fall between the spectrum of your credit history. A ton of questions, just taking us to the very, very present and the fact that there are probably, I know there are thousands of people who might be missing rental payments or deferring rental payments because of COVID. How will the app factor that into credit score and credit scoring in this very unusual, exceptional time period? So as we think about reporting this pertinent data, we have the largest economic catastrophe we've experienced since the Great Depression. We have one of the biggest health crises we've ever seen. We've been locked down for over seven months. So everything is at a standstill. Similar cases have happened before and the credit rating agencies under the guise of the Fair Credit Reporting Act will actually have procedures in place to protect people from being unduly affected by disastrous events like this. So working in lockstep with the credit rating agencies, we've created systems whereby we can use a disaster code so folks are not inherently hurt during this tough time. So if you're affected by COVID and you can't pay your rent, there's a particular code we can leverage to make sure you're not penalized for something you don't have control over. So 
Why do we need an app like this? Shouldn't the credit ratings agencies already have this data built in? The reason we have an app like this is to make sure we capture all the pertinent data associated with an individual and it reflects their true credit risk. After that backdrop, let's take a step back and go down memory lane. Number one, the biggest driver of wealth in the United States is home ownership. Unfortunately for Blacks and other minority groups, particularly African-Americans, we're fundamentally discriminated against by the Federal Housing Authority um, and not given that access to mortgage products. Consequently, we have one of the largest racial wealth divide, whereby the average white family has 10 times as more wealth than the Black family. So that's the theology and the main issue we're dealing with here. So what we said at Isusu is your biggest run rate expense on a monthly basis is your rent. Why is that data not captured? Precisely to your question. But as a society, we like proving people's credit risk based on their debt obligation. So we pushed alongside great organizations working in lockstep with us in this space to make sure when you pay your rent on time, the biggest expense on a monthly basis, that information is captured. So thanks to regulation in Congress, thanks to states like D.C., California, we've really had a, a huge push across the nation and have an accepted way of ac- working with this data. The credit rating agencies are also doing their bits. Everyone wants people to be prosperous, and it's all about math. If you think about the math here, the 70 million people in this country that do not have a strong, that have a thin file or no credit scores at all. The average debt in the United States is $135,000, including your mortgage. If we do simple math, just market sizing, 70 million times 135000 we can unlock $13 trillion for the American economy. That's just not a charitable thing to do. It is fundamentally good for this economy and makes this nation continue to be the strongest in the world. And that's the idea we're trying to push, an audacious idea that captures pertinent data, in this case, rent, to make sure next time Katrina wants to go borrow money from the bank, our credit risk is fully reflected through our rental payments. It's so interesting because I never really thought of it that way, but you're right. Credit historically is based on debt, which makes no sense. That should be one factor, but what you're also doing now is you are factoring in consistent behavior over time, which you say is another data point or set of data points that need to be factored into one's credit. I think that's fascinating. Now, are you also collecting data like paying cell phone bills or anything else as well? Other adjacent data points? Yeah, we have a whole bunch of other things we'd like to capture. But like they always say, you got to try to build Washington, D.C. before you build the pyramids. We're starting small, laying the strong foundations, making sure we know how to do one thing right and get a reputation from the credit rating agency, which we've had fantastic relationship with credit rating agencies, with all three credit rating agencies, Equifax, TransUnion, Experian. But we have a deep ties with Equifax that continues to move the frontiers of our business forward. So to your point, like they say, little drops of water makes a mighty ocean. And Rome was definitely not built in a day. Rent is a starting point and other pertinent data will follow suit shortly. Yeah. And you're also changing mindsets at the same time that you're adding data sets, which is something that takes a long time to do. You got it. So full disclosure. So we work with Experian, actually. We've worked on this product called Boost for more than a year now. And I think the idea behind it is somewhat similar in that 
and Experian's one of the big three credit rating agencies in that they believe that there are other data points that are also very strong, albeit unfortunately more absent predictors of your ability to establish credit and take on more debt. So I feel like the credit rating agencies, to your point, are headed in the right direction, but they are huge. So it's going to take some time. Precisely so. The credit rating agencies are all trying to do the best things. I think that's one of the things we should think about. We need to think about the larger disease and the symptoms we're dealing with in this country with systemic racism. But I think I'm very optimistic about our direction in terms of moving forward and picking up the pieces to make sure everyone has a fighting chance. So the credit rating agencies are doing their bits and it takes small institutions like us to go out there unapologetically and help gather that scale and make a case for the importance of this data. What ISUSU means in Yoruba, West African culture is if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you fundamentally go together. So we believe in multi-stakeholder approach, including accrediting agencies, including government institutions, including private institutions to help us bridge this divide and really eliminate the racial wealth gap. And the name Asusu? Name Asusu stems from the Yoruba West African culture, my tribe. And it really means if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you fundamentally go together because as a human race, our futures are tied together. Oh, it literally meant that. I wasn't sure. Okay, that's amazing. Okay. And you grew up in Nigeria. And when did you come to the States? I grew up in the slums of Lagos, Nigeria. I lost my father at the age of two. I was raised by my spirited mother and two feisty sisters. One thing, my mother sacrificed a lot was my education. She fundamentally believed education is a paramount investment in any child's life. Although she only had a high school degree, she invested the best. I had the opportunity to go to school with you know, the minister's kids, the governor's kids, and I just thought they don't have two heads. They don't have two four eyes. I could do whatever I wanted to put my mind to. So I came from sunny, 80-degree weather in Nigeria to negative 22 degrees in Minnesota. It was a rude awakening, but it's been one of the solid foundations to really help me understand the intricacies of inequalities in the United States and particularly not just talk about rhetoric, but what do we do about it? And you came over with your mom and your sisters? Did you come over alone? I came over with my mom. My mom had been in the United States before in the early 70s, went back and then came here. Um, but I came here for college particularly, but we were trying to figure things out in the United States, which was particularly hard, but we came together. It's interesting because you really have so many different filters and points of view about the U.S. One, as an immigrant and coming from Nigeria, and like you said, not just from poverty, but there was also danger, eminent danger. And at the same time, you also probably thought there would I don't know, I'm guessing you'd probably thought that there would be less inequities in the United States. So is it surprising to see as much systemic inequities that have been gone on, obviously, for hundreds of years, but right now, more than ever, there's been a lot of focus on systemic racism, whether it's economic or social. So was that surprising to you when you came over, or were you prepared for that? When I came to the United States, I haven't come from a tough background in one of the toughest countries on the surface of the earth. I was just really excited about the American dream. I was following President Obama's election, which I ended up working on his re-election in Minnesota. 
I was really following it and really believed in the idea of America. When I came to the United States, I was in Minnesota, went to the University of Minnesota, and there were little microaggressions here and there, but for the most part, it was a good experience, good people trying to do good things. There are certain things that happened you couldn't quite articulate as an immigrant. Your mentality is just to work as hard as you can, but when I went to UC Berkeley and really dive deep into the literature of these United States from pre-1776 to the Emancipation Proclamation to Reconstruction to Dred Scott to Jim Crow and housing discrimination to modern-day Reagan, the civil rights movement, you know, just interesting timeline there. That really then opens your eyes and a reflective mode in terms of what's going on. But my idea has always been it is important for us to understand what's going on and the rhetoric associated with it, but I'm very action-driven. It's all about what can we do to really eliminate. Bridging has been a word leveraged a lot, but I'm really fascinated by us eliminating because every human being just wants to wake up one day and make sure their offspring does better than they did. Whether you're white, you're brown, you're black, you're blue, whatever you stand for, that's all we want. We want our children to have a better life. But for us to do that, we need to recognize the divide, the deep wounds of what we have in society today. What we're seeing with COVID with African-Americans dying the most is a symptom of a larger disease we've excluded and really turned our eye against. So I understand I got that baseline knowledge from UC Berkeley, continued through my master's program at NYU. And now it's just, okay, there's this technical backdrop and this historical context. Like I'm used to, how do we eliminate this issue? Because it's not only a good thing for the United States, I think it's fundamentally a good thing for the world. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Now, I couldn't agree more. Now, you're spending 100% of your time now in Asusu? Correct. My background was essentially working for President Obama's re-election campaign, went to graduate school, founded my first technology company, which was acquired, focused on open machine-readable data systems, then went on to Accenture, Goldman Sachs, and PwC. And then my co-founder and I, Samir, saw this real deep divide and said, what could we do about it? We quit our jobs in 2018 and just focused on the business full-time. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I have a lot of respect for that. And it's so good that you actually did work on the corporate side as well, so you can see how they function, how they operate, where the opportunities are, and also to understand, because there's a language, whether it is explicit or not, there is a language on the other side that you need to kind of be attuned to. And I'm sure that's helped as you continue to build Asusu. You got it. There's a language, there's a particular vocabulary, but it's all about understanding both sides. So I can, I can walk into Mercy Avenue or go to the Bronx and relate. I can walk into the headquarters of the biggest bank on Wall Street and then speak the language. So one thing we've missed, particularly in the United States, and that's been the divide from political standpoints also is the Republicans don't want to talk to the Democrats. The Wall Street bankers don't want to talk to the farmer in Crookston, Minnesota. But we all have a shared common humanity and we stop listening to each other. So for us, even at ASUSU, what we think about is how do we bridge the divide? If you think about our business, we help landlords predominantly report this data into the credit bureaus. They pay and then tenants can boost their credit scores. But if tenants can afford their rent, you know what we do? We step in and offer them 0 to 10% interest rate loans. 
so the landlord can also keep their mortgage and keep the renters in their homes. Proximity is key here. And as long as we continue to think about issues in a win-win fashion, we're not taking things really seriously as a society. So the idea of victimizing people and saying that's the bad guy, this is the good guy, just separates us further. And we need to do better. How are you financing these loans? Is it direct or is it more that you're brokering through a network of lenders? Because they're kind of micro loans in a sense, right? Correct. So we're just brokering through a plethora of lenders that have been vetted by us and not draconian from an interest rate standpoint. Because my mother and I came to this country, we borrowed money from a payday loan lender at over 400% interest rates. I think in a prosperous America, we shouldn't never have that. So that's what we do at Isuzu is, like you rightfully alluded to, broker loans with the right stakeholders and then just help create a win-win solution for everyone. Do you refer to your customers as customers, members, clients? How do you refer to them? Just call them community members. That's our modus operandi. One of our core values at Isuzu is forward together, which is always think we, not I. Clients, customers is very commercial. But I think when we think about people as our community members or folks from our village or our tribe, it goes way, way deeper than just clients or customers. And how are you funding yourselves? What is the business model behind it? The business model is landlords pay for our services on an average $2 per unit per month to make sure we're doing the right thing, driving value for them. And then from a capital stock standpoint, well, backed by the finest venture capitalists in Silicon Valley and other great impact investors. And I've raised over $4 million since I found him. That's nice. Congrats on that. That's amazing. So what is your pitch to a landlord? Why does it benefit them? So if you're pitching, say, I don't know, I'm just gonna make this up, related companies, they're a huge one. What's in it for them? Why do they want to do this? It's three things, really. We help you report rental data. It drives on time payments. TransUnion says it drives on time payments seven out of 10 times. So a tenant is 70 times more likely to pay if that data has been reported. That's not Asus's data, that's TransUnion data. Number two is if your tenants can't pay rent, you as a landlord need to make sure that up to speed on a monthly basis, Asus steps in, offers an, an affordable loan to your residents and then you get paid directly as the landlord. And then number three is really just data-driven. So we provide impact metrics. If you're ESG-focused, you can unequivocally say, look, this is the real impact we're having in the lives of residents. So it's just not rhetoric. It's actually data-driven. Yeah, I mean, the reputational lift for the landlord can be tremendous. Yep, it is massive. They're really, really excited about that. And we are not, we, although we lead with what we do for the residents and it's tremendous impact, we also lead and say this is a profitable agenda for you because, look, even with COVID, we've disbursed close to half a million dollars in loans and growing every day, six million dollars in requests. So landlords are really excited. And what landlords always think is who are the ones standing by us? We're not a cost line item to our clients. We're a revenue driver. That's very, very important to them. And that's one of the things that separates us from our peers in the industry. When you talk about peers in the industry, is there anything quite like this that exists in this way? So comprehensively, no. We are doing a plethora of things as a platform. A lot of people try to do 
small products so you're focused particularly on doing rent reporting there are some companies that do that we believe in an holistic view because a product idea is great but we fundamentally believe in a platform approach whereby you're reporting data you're showing impact and then you don't stop there you're showing how you're actually driving value not from a rhetoric standpoint but data driven bottom line driven to the consumer so we like to say uh, approaches second to none in the industry, which is really exciting. In your member community, what percent do you think are immigrant families? That information is not really pronounced from the data, but from folks that have declared, it's roughly 32%. Okay. And how are you creating awareness? I know that you have some venture funding behind you. You're two years into this, and it sounds like you've been incredibly successful. How can you get prospective members to hear about this? Is it word of mouth? Are you doing any sort of advertising or marketing? Is it through the landlord network, all the above? It's all the above. The property management space is very close and people talk. So once you break in, there's a lot of opportunity there. So we definitely leverage that. We spend the social media, you know, advertising on the big platforms out there. And then we're also looking at strategic means, especially with additional infusion of capital to grow our mandates in the next 18 months is to be in a million rental units and we're just over a quarter million audacious goal but we think we can definitely reach that goal oh for sure and it sounds like you're operating in a pretty lean staff too so you're probably doing multiple jobs at once right now we're the chief everything officers <laughs> my co-founder and i have a co-ceo structure just like in everything in susu so we do everything with the chief everything officer, the chief apology officer. We've grown tremendously. I remember when this time last year, only a team of 11 people. Now we're over 25, which is fantastic and just continues to grow by the day. And do you think there is a scale opportunity outside of the US and other countries? I know that everybody does things a little bit differently, but we're still talking about economic empowerment and trying to battle financial disenfranchisement. So... Maybe I'm getting ahead of my skis here because there's still so much work to be done in the U.S., but I'm going to guess that this is scalable. Yeah, I think you're thinking about it in the right way. What we are doing is absolutely scalable, approach is scalable. So what we like to see at ASUS is we're thinking local and acting global. Like I said, we're perfecting the United States right now. And once that's done, there are a lot of markets that the governments are actually calling us to come get things done. But we want our, not only our reputation to precede us, but we like to execute on the promise and over-deliver. So that's coming down the pike. There'll be a lot of news coming up about exciting expansions. Have you ever considered selling or reselling any sort of financial products to members at some point? Or is that something that's well down the road? At this point, we're just hyper-focused on rental products and making sure we get those things right, keep people in their homes. It's the basic need. There are a lot of opportunities in terms of what we can do. But capacity is also one thing. We need to be hyper-focused, think about how we can have unequivocal impact that no one can argue against. And then naturally, the platform approach, which you're talking about of other products will, will flow in. But at this point, it's hyper-focus. And then those other things will naturally flow in. Yeah. I did see that you have been raising money for a COVID relief fund as well, for rent relief. Yeah. So back in April... 62% of folks on our platform couldn't afford rent. And then we're like, look, what are we going to do in March? 
we went out there to go talk to our investors and other stakeholders and say, we need you to jump in here and make sure we keep people in their homes. And as a society, we're not solving homelessness backwards. So when we were raising the capital, a lot of people were laughing at us and said, this is not sustainable. It makes no sense. And now we've raised over half a million dollars and continue to support people, which is incredible, number one. And then number two is really, it has accelerated some of our some of the things on our product roadmap, which is really exciting. And now we're just supporting the folks we work alongside. And it has also created a forum for different states. New York announced a $100 million rent relief program that looks exactly like ours. Can't confirm or deny if we're involved in that. Minnesota did something similar, $100 million. So we're seeing a groundswell of institutions piggybacking on what we did. But when we did it, there was a lot of backlash and how this wouldn't work. Um, but when our naysayers, we look at the plan, execute against it, and hope, always think it should be a template for not only us as a company, but when institutions start to adopt what we're doing, there's no better excitement. Last question, I promise. So just why is this mission so important to you personally? I think you touched on it a little bit, but if you can kind of go a little bit deeper... I'm not trying to be a therapist and ask you to unpack or talk about the layering, but this doesn't just seem like a venture. This seems like a lifetime mission and something you're going to be with and stick with and scale for a very long time. You got it. This is personal for me. I grew up in a society. I was born in a society that had a lot of inequalities. I lost my father at the age of two. My mother raised me and continued to face inequalities. Came to the United States and understand the struggle here, I mean, really the destitution of what your social position can do to you. To whom much is given, much is expected, number one. And above all, I think prosperity as a nation and as a world is dependent on making sure everyone gets a fighting chance. It goes back to our fight, our core creed, where you come from, the color of your skin, and particularly something like your credit score shouldn't hinder your progress in the wealthiest nation on the surface of the earth and eventually globally. And that's what we're fighting for. That's my passion. That's what I wake up to do every day. There's no greater fulfillment. And that's one of the things we like to say at Isuzu. We're justice capitalists. I like that. Justice capitalists? It's trademark. <laughs> no, no, I'm not taking it. I'm just saying how much I love it. I feel like you need a cape. But yeah, no, I love that. And I'm sure that your mom is incredibly proud of you. I come from a culture whereby... When people tell you they're proud of you, they really meant it. And that only came during my graduation from college, UC Berkeley, and then my master's program at NYU. But it's a frequent affirmation now when my mother and I text to have a conversation. But I really appreciate my mother. I will not be where I am today if not for all the sacrifices we collectively experienced. And that has fueled my passion to make sure everyone in society has a fighting chance. Yeah. I don't think we talk enough about how important moms are in general. I was raised by a single mom as well. And I think actually being raised by a single mom has made me a much better father. It's hard to explain that. And one day when you become a father, God willing, you'll see what I mean, but it wires you a little bit differently. And you don't realize it when it's happening. You realize it, of course, when you're older. But I do recognize it and I do appreciate it. And I love your story. You're just beginning. You're just at the very beginning of this incredible 
journey. It's so incredible and wonderful to have you on the show. And I can't wait to continue to watch your success and talk to you a year from now to find out how things are going. And you'll probably be a hundred people by then. Thank you so much for having me. Really, really appreciate your thoughtful questions. And like we always say at so the best is yet to come. Absolutely. Thanks, Abby. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always-on-point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our Instagram at thebopodcast.com, and learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com. Mm-hmm.